Numbers, chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 3, and then 17 to 33. So Numbers, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, and then 17 to 33. Exploring Canaan. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahimon, Shishai, and Taimai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zone in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Ishkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Ishkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Father, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth this day and the thoughts of all of our hearts will give you glory and praise. Amen. This life we lead is a series of decisions. We make decisions every day. When I was a young man, I had to make some very important decisions in life. I had to decide which football team to support. More importantly, I had to decide whether I was a Holden man or a Falcon man. And of course, if you're a true believer in these things, you follow Jaguars. But the, uh, we make decisions every day. Some of them are snap decisions. When we drive a car, we have to make snap decisions when something happens in front of us. Some of them are very considered decisions that take us a long time to consider before we finally make up our mind to do something. I would suggest the most important decision, and the only truly important decision that any of us has to make, is in whom or what do we believe? You're very fortunate, every one of you, because God has approached you and given you the opportunity to believe in him. You should consider yourself, as I do, very fortunate. How strong is that faith we have? That's the second decision, the decision we have to make every day that we then live. Just how convicted are we? How confident are we? How strongly do we believe in the God that we read about in his word 
that we pray to, that protects us every day. We're going to look at this story of Caleb, one of the Israelite leaders, and his level of faith in God. So the scenario has been beautifully set by Amy. The Israelites have finally left Egypt after a very traumatic time. They've gone through the desert and they've finally come to the border of the promised land, Canaan. Moses, in his wisdom, any good leader, he sent some people out just to make sure they knew what they were getting into. So he sent the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel into Canaan for 40 days to look around, to see what was there, to see if, in fact, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, which God had promised. God had promised them this land to see who was living there, to see if the cities were walled, to see how powerful the next enemy was. They came back and said, Canaan is populated by powerful groups of people who are in firm control of the land. The spies took one look at their opponents and they wilted, except Caleb. We read about Caleb. Later on, we realise Joseph was one of the other leaders and he stood with Caleb, so the two of them. But in this passage, we read about Caleb, and that's what I wanted to concentrate on today. Who was this man and what did he base his faith in? The others looked only through their own limited vision and concluded that the conquest was simply beyond them. The enemy was too strong. So how was Caleb different? What made him different? Why did he take a totally different stand? So let's go back and have a look at what the Israelites had been through leading up to this point in their history. They knew and they believed, as I hope you do, that God flooded the earth and destroyed everything except Noah and his family. Do you believe that? Or is it a fairy story? The Bible tells us that's the way God did it. He expects us to believe it. It's not a fairy story. God cleansed a corrupt and evil world and he gave it a new start through Noah and his family. Noah was faithful and he believed. God entered into a covenant with Noah, the rainbow. What does the rainbow signify? I know it's been hijacked by people in recent days. But every time we see a rainbow, we should remember that God promised that never again would he destroy all living things through a flood, through a flood. He entered into a contract, a covenant with Abraham. When Abraham was Abram and his wife was Sarai, they couldn't have children. And yet God said, go out into the night sky and look up. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. And he believed. He entered into a contract with Jacob. He saved Jacob's family 
from a widespread famine. You know the story. It's the greatest story ever told. It's a great title and it's so true. So Joseph was sent into Egypt as a slave, ended up number two in charge under Pharaoh himself. Through a time of seven years of unbelievable plenty, following seven years of terrible drought and famine. They had experienced the plagues that God brought upon Pharaoh and his people in Egypt. They lived through them. They saw them. Here's the quiz for the day, Nick. How many years were the Israelites in Egypt for? Anybody know? 430 years. Barry knew that. How many Israelites, how many people from Israel went into Egypt 430 years before? The family of Jacob. Do you know how many there were? Tamara. 70. 70. 430 years. This is about what we believe. Get on to Dr. Google, the font of all knowledge, and type in something like, how many people left Egypt? as the Israelites, and you'll find supposed theologians there saying, oh, it's not as many as we thought, maybe 5,000, maybe 5,000. Well, I'll tell you what, if it was 5,000, Pharaoh really had the uh, had his, his argument wrong because he was terrified that the Israelites were going to take over. 5,000 people weren't going to do it, and they were building cities for him, so they must have been very productive people. They estimate, well, what does the word tell us? Anybody know? What does the word say? 600,000 men. 600,000 men. Now, if you, we don't worry about women and children, of course. If you count the ladies and the children, you're talking about a population of about 2.4 million people. Now, you'll find that disputed all over the place. And they say, all we need to know is it's a vast number. The word tells us 600,000 men. It actually goes on and said, and many others joined them, and they took with them droves of animals, livestock. Do we believe that? In fact, it's interesting if you go back and look at 70 people and you say, how many people would 70 people make over 430 years? You know what the answer is? about 2.4 million. It's interesting. It was a monstrous number. God looked after those people in the desert. We don't really appreciate just how big this exercise was. They'd gone to the Red Sea and watched God part the Red Sea. We watched a, a show a little while ago called Exodus, Gods and Kings. It's on one of these Netflix type things, I think. Uh, it's worth watching. There's a lot of really good stuff in it. But uh, I always get a little bit annoyed when they try to explain what God has done in terms of things we can understand. And when they come to the Red Sea, they, uh, they described uh, something happening upstream and over the course of a day or so, it sort of just petered out. It wasn't much of a stream. And in fact, if you, if you consult Dr. Google, some of the theologians will say, well, actually, they probably crossed closer to Egypt where it's marshy. 
And in fact, another explanation was that if you get a, a breeze of 63 kilometres per hour over a 24 hour period in six foot water, then it will spread an area so much. Well, I tell you what, that six foot of water in those marshes really consumed the Egyptian army. I think Barry told us this some time ago. Does anybody realise how big the Red Sea is and was? It's 1,900 kilometres long, average width 280 kilometres, minimum width 26 to 29 kilometres, average depth 490 kilometres. Now, I'll give a concession. They probably went through where it was fairly shallow. It was probably only 100 metres deep. What does the word tell us? They went through with water on both sides on dry ground. I think John Harris is listening in, so he'll have a go at me over this. But a couple of years ago, when we we're in the middle of the drought, our dam was dry. It had been dry for some time. I was under some pressure by someone who I live with who knows far more than me to go in and check the foot valve, which was covered in mud in the bottom of the dam. So finally, I decided the day had come for all of my farming instincts to come out and I'd go and tackle this task with some considerable vigour. So in I rushed with my quad bike and my little trailer. You never guess what happened. I was bogged to the gunnels, to the axles in some horrible stuff. And had to go inside and explain to Susan I'd done it again. But uh, it amazes me that God sent the people through on dry ground, on dry ground. 600,000 men plus women and children and livestock went through on dry ground with a wall of water each side. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Could God do it? Of course he could. And of course, we know the story that the Pharaoh rushed in with all of his people, their chariots and their horses. They were never seen again. Not in six foot of water or in marshy country, but a wall of water on every side. God provided manna for them of a morning, quail of an evening and water in the desert for that vast group of people. Although the Israelites had witnessed God at work in so many ways, they still wilted when they saw the size of the enemy. Even though God had promised that this would be their land. There's a lesson we really need to learn from this. So how was Caleb different? Caleb recognised that God's promises far outweigh any form of earthly power. He recognised that God's promises far outweigh any form of earthly power. He believed and he trusted. We've had a challenging year in 2020. As we move into 2021, I'm wondering this day how strong your faith in God is as you face another year. So what's the difference between Caleb and the leaders of the Israelite tribes and us today. We have the end of the story. They didn't. They only had the beginning of the story. We have God's word, the complete book. Jesus has completed his task on earth 
the end of the story has been written and it's available for each one of us. All we've got to do is study. As a family, we just had all the kids and the grandkids there over Christmas, a marvellous time, and um, we sat through the eight-part Harry Potter series. How, how many of you have watched all of Harry Potter? Well, what a disappointing group. It took me back to when I was a little bloke and my little sister Julie and I convinced our parents that we should be allowed to sit up one night way past 8.30 to watch Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Have you seen that? Surely, Warren, you've got to see that. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Now, my folks obviously knew what was going to happen because the very first thing that happens, it was black and white. This bloke turns into a werewolf. Julie and I were in bed like bullets. We were, it was, <laughs> there was dust settling in the lounge room and we were gone. And we sat and watched some stuff with the grandkids some years ago. It was horrific. And they just sat there and watched it. And I thought things have changed, you know. What we this this Harry Potter stuff is really dark towards the end, and the kids watch it. I don't know, it just amazes me. In the last episode, it all makes sense. In the last episode, you get the context of how it all fitted together who was actually good, who was actually bad, and what it was all about. Jesus did the same for us in God's Word. He put it all into context. The whole story is about him. From Genesis 1, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always the only solution that God had for us. We've got the whole story. Has God changed? Have any of God's promises ever failed? God remains faithful to every promise he has ever made. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. For you, each one of you, there's already a place prepared in paradise. He also said, I will come again. There's going to be a lot of things happen potentially in the year to come, the years to, to follow. But the next big event in history will be the return of Christ. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I believe the stage is set. The coming of our Lord and Saviour for the second time. He won't come as a baby this time. He will come in all his majesty and glory. And he'll be accompanied by the host of angels. And what does the word tell us? Every knee, every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How fortunate are we that we know him. So how strong is your faith today as we face this year? How strongly do you believe in God? Is it part of your backbone, your inner core, or is it a garment you put on occasionally? Are you facing this year as a Caleb or as one of the other spies? There's some practical things we can do. How do we go about it? To start with, we have all the information we need. God has provided his word. It is all we need for this life. We have to read it, study it, wrestle with it, and adopt it. He's left his Holy Spirit. Every believer, the day you decide to believe, the Holy Spirit indwells you. 
how much of your life you allow the Holy Spirit to have dominion and power in is up to you. Again, a decision you have to make every day. The Spirit is there. He should fill every part of our life. I think we're all guilty of not letting that happen. But he's there and available. We also have the witness of other faithful followers to help guide us on the way. When you read John's Gospel, it's really a summary of the miracles that Jesus performed and the context for them. It tells us that Jesus performed the miracles and they were recorded in his word. They were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Note it is up to us to do what? To believe. We need to take that step of faith. Don't limit God to fit in your brain. Your brain's very small. Or into this world. This world is very small compared to God. Don't limit God. Don't try and explain away the parting of the Red Sea. Read the words that are there. I'm a real believer that God created this world in seven days. Don't doubt it. Dangerous territory when we start to doubt these things. I read again, the farmers amongst you, what did God create on the third day? When he said there was morning and there was evening and it was the third day, what did he create? Created all the plants. All the plants. What did he create on day four? The sun and the moon. What makes plants live? Need the sun. People who say that there were probably millions of years involved have no idea. Have absolutely no idea. Uh, I was in with some friends just this last week who are very clever, not Christians, very, very intelligent, very clever, good friends. And uh, they love nature, love nature. And uh, the lady pointed out that uh, their little prophets here in tomorrow, covered in bearded dragon uh, lizards. And she said, she's just been reading about them. You know that they're 250 million years old. And I just bit my tongue again and thought, well, I wonder who was back then who told them how old they were. <laughs> 250 million. Anyway, God created the world as a mature running system. He created this universe as a mature running system. I heard a uh, comedian recently, Southern, Southern uh, gospel type uh, comedian, in, uh, in America, saying that uh, a real character, someone gave him a Swiss watch and he was mesmerised by this watch. He actually sat up all night watching it. And uh, he said he was going to pull the watch apart into all of its parts. This is before digital stuff. This was lots of little cogs and wheels. And he's going to put it in a bag and he reckons if he walked around for eight or ten billion years, would that watch turn into a watch and work? No. No, God created. God created. Joshua 10 verse 13 tells us the story of uh, Joshua and the, the people of Israel fighting against the five kings of the Amorites, a long-standing enemy. Joshua was starting to get the upper hand and he prayed to God, God, make the sun stand still. What does the word tell us? The sun stood still for a full day. 
so that they can complete their task. Do you believe that? How many laws of physics does that wreck? Gravity, motion, you name it. Newton's laws, it defies all of them. Who made those laws? Who gave us those laws? So that we know when the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning, when it's going to go down, when we're going to get the rain, when we plant the crops. God gave us that so that we could live in this world. Do you think God hasn't got a big pause button up there in heaven and he just stopped everything? You think about it. Planets, planets would have to stop rotating around each other. Could God do that? Well, he made the place. Do you believe it? You see, there is real danger in this because when we start doubting what the word says, very little distance downstream, we start to doubt the virgin birth. Then we start to doubt the resurrection and you're lost. You've totally lost the plot. We have to believe. I, uh, I might be a little bit simple-minded, I'll admit to that, I, uh, but I, I made a commitment to believe many, many years ago and I've never had cause to doubt it. So I hope that you can come to that same conclusion. Life happens when we believe. We end up with an abundant, robust and resilient faith. We find strength beyond our strength, a Caleb sort of strength. Belief happens when we place our confidence in God, all of our confidence. See him in everything because he is everywhere and in all things. We need to make a decision to lean entirely upon the strength of our living and loving Saviour. Key elements, study the word. A good mate of mine told me many moons ago, you sit down every morning and eat breakfast, don't you, young Rod? Have the word open and read it then. And I've been doing it ever since. It's a great trick. Start the day with the Lord. I know I've been pushing this, but if you're not part of a Bible study, 2021's the time. Uh, we have a most magnificent men's Bible study group. You don't have to prepare. You don't even have to say anything. We get together. We support each other. We care for each other. And we grow together. Studying the word is so important. Spending time in prayer, setting time for that, trusting and obeying. Are you ready for the next big event in history? Christ's triumphant return. We're told to have our wicks trimmed and be looking out for his return. He will come like a thief in the night. It will be the last thing we expect to happen today or next year, or whenever. There will be no immediate warning. Even if you get onto the news 24 of the morning, it won't be on there. Because when he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's make believing and trusting our priority in 2021. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for each and every person here. I thank you for the fact that you have opened their eyes and they've been able to see your son. I thank you for the ability that you've given each one of us to believe. 
I pray that each one of us would go forward in our faith in your strength. And as we encounter our friends and relatives who don't know you, that they would see your son through us. That he would be our priority and our focus and our very purpose in life. And that we would walk in his strength every day that you give us here on this earth. Amen.